Today we're going to have a message called The Foundations of Ministry. And we're going to be starting off in Ephesians 4, verse 1, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. On the back of your bulletin, it's going to have every, um, sir, or every scripture that we're going to go through today. There's going to be quite a few. And I'm going to start it out with prayer. Father God, I just ask, Father, that you just open our hearts, open our minds to hear the truth of your word, that you help us to appreciate the high place that you have called us to in your kingdom as children of God, and that you help us to understand the reasons and the intricacies of how your kingdom works in this thing called the church. Father God, I ask this in your name. Amen. I was called to the ministry in 1999. My pastor at the time was encouraging me and starting to help me to um, get in and help me have ministry opportunities. And, and then suddenly... Um, that church kind of blew up and he quit. And I rapidly became interim pastor of that church. The youth pastor also left. That whole staff left and it was just me. As a pretty much um, untrained, just starting Bible school, um, interim pastor. And we had some new believers that had started coming to the church and they needed some teaching in basic Christianity. So the church board at the time said, well, you're the one going through Bible school. You might as well be the one that, that creates a curriculum for them to, to have to teach them the basics of Christianity. So they had me um, take an old curriculum that they had and, and update it. And that curriculum became known as Foundations. And one of the things that I did with this entire curriculum when I rewrote it is put a couple of appendixes in it. And when it came to discussing church leadership... I put a diagram in there to try to describe it. And from what, in my very early uh, days of beginning to study the Bible and, and ministry, I looked at it more from a military perspective and being very top down. You have a general up here, you have a private down here, and you have all these ranks in between. And so that was kind of the um, progression I saw. So James, if you could toss that slide up. This is the actual slide that I created for the foundations class. I put Jesus at the top, the apostle under there. I put the elders, put the prophet over here, evangelists, pastor, teachers, and kind of a really busy slide. <laughs> and um, put the fact that everybody's supposed to be in mutual submission to each other. That means if, if God is speaking through any one of you, I should be able to recognize that, and it doesn't have to always come from me. So we're all in mutual submission to each other, and um, that's kind of the way that I saw the church leadership being at that time. So, one, so the church board approved it at the time, but then one of the elders drew me aside. His name was Larry. He was a graduate of Bible college also. And he said, you know, I don't see it quite the way that you have that laid out. He said, and I said, okay, well, show me biblically where I'm wrong. You know, I'm studying the Bible. I'm, I, this is the way that I see it. And Larry pointed out that within Paul's writings, the first sentence or two at the beginning of any one of his chapters in the Bible, it's generally a statement, and then it puts this, that whole chapter into context. And he said that the, um, the verses I was using for this, which is Ephesians chapter 4, 11 and 12, um, start out, of course, with, chapter, with uh, Ephesians 4, 1 and 2. And that's supposed to be the context. And the Ephesians 4, 1 and 2 says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, 
I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. And that what Larry was showing me is that Paul wasn't even speaking about spiritual leadership yet when he was talking about um, those later verses in Ephesians. He was referring to the church as a whole, and he was saying that everyone is called into some measure of spiritual leadership based on the fact that everyone here, if you are a Christian, is a child of God. You are royalty. You are spiritual big shots, in other words. When, whenever spiritual beings look at you, whether they're on the light side or the dark side, they see a child of of the king, right? You're a VIP in the spiritual realm. And I really want you to internalize that and believe that for yourself this morning because when you start to see yourself the way that God sees you, the way that the heavenly host sees you, and even the kingdom of darkness sees you, it helps you to understand who exactly you are in Jesus Christ and you quit living in defeat then. And after Larry explained that to me, he took that top-down list and he flipped it over and said this is the appropriate way to see church leadership. See, if you look at the rest of the Bible, Jesus Christ is our foundation, amen? amen. The Bible's very clear about that. Jesus is the foundation. Upon that, he said that he built on the foundation of Jesus Christ and the people who built the next foundation were the apostles and the prophets. Most of them lived in the first century, although there still can be these two offices today. And sooner or later, I'll go into each one of these offices in, a, in another series, but this is the way that it's supposed to be in the way that I see it now. So your foundational level there is apostle and prophet. Then above that is the rest of the church. Once a church gets formed, those two people kind of step back and let the church function in mutual submission with the evangelists, those who proclaim Jesus Christ to the immediate community, the elders, and the pastor and teachers, and the deacons. So these are your positions that are seen most often in the church now, and we then support the congregation. And it's very important to understand that when we look at this, we, we kind of think very linearly when we look at um, rank and, and everything like that, but really, all of us who are in um, a, some type of official church leadership are under the church congregation. We give support to them. We do not stand over them and lord down. We push them up, if that makes sense. This agrees with what Jesus said about the principal prerequisite of anyone who aspires to spiritual leadership. And that is the principal prerequisite is that you have to be a servant. You have to have a servant mindset if you're going to aspire to any place on this um, flowchart here. Those who want to be a leader have to learn to serve before they learn how to lead. Just like you have to learn how to, to walk before you learn how to jog. And as you see in this diagram, the leadership supports the church, not the other way around. And looking back 19 years, I've come to realize the wisdom in Larry's critique of my work. When I was 31, I was 31 years old when I began my work on that foundations class. And in about three weeks, I get to turn 50. Yay! I've been around the spiritual block a few times. 
I've seen church through a new convert's eyes, being totally filled with the Holy Spirit and just on fire for Jesus and and just being one of those people that just soak in church every single uh, week. I've seen it through a servant's eyes when I finally got out of my pew and I said, hey, do you guys need ushers? Do you guys need greeters? Do you guys need somebody to help clean up after the men's breakfast and do dishes? I can do that. I mean, I know how to wash dishes. I can do those kind of things. Then I I started to to move into leadership. I became board member and associate pastor and and started to learn about the leadership of the church and how to run a church and then interim pastor and and that was <laughs> that was just kind of a mess in that church but but I got to see it um, through different eyes and then as you know an associate pastor right before I came here and now finally as a senior pastor and I've learned many valuable lessons throughout that entire time some good some bad some of the lessons I learned is how not to do things and those lessons are usually the painful ones. And one of the most important lessons that I've learned through my own life and through watching the lives of other people in church leadership is that the need for promotion or the need for position or the need for power are three primary cancers that can kill a spiritual leader. Consider what the need for promotion, position, or power did in the beginning. These deadly cancers are the same cancers that affected an archangel or cherubim named Lucifer and caused him to fall. They need to be recognized and avoided by anyone who desires to aspire to servanthood or servant leadership in the church. With this in mind, we're going to look at this thing called the ministry. We're going to be flipping through a lot of Bible verses, and as I said, they're on the back of your bulletin if you want to follow. And we're going to start off, I want to point out again the verse that Larry pointed out to me, which is Ephesians 4.1, where he said, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. So there are some questions that are vital in understanding about what we're going to be talking about here. First, who is Paul talking to in this verse? When he sent out the letters, who is he usually talking to? The church. He's talking about the church in, at large. He wasn't just talking to the pastor. He wasn't just talking to the elders. He wasn't just talking to the deacons or anybody else on that list. He was talking to the church. He urged them to live a life worthy of the calling that they received. Every single person under the sound of my voice right now, you're called into a ministry. Every single person, according to this verse. You have a spiritual position just because you are a child of God. And one of the reasons the 21st century Christian church in America has gotten so weak is because we've forgotten this truth. Or we acknowledge this truth, maybe, if we were going to mark it on a test, we would say, yeah, 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 I agree with that. But we don't really live it. And one of the missions I have this morning is to help take your eyes off of whoever's standing up here and, ha- and look inward to see what God has for you. Because God did not save you to sit. He did not save you to just warm a pew on a Sunday morning. He called you to serve in his kingdom. The position of serving him has been reserved from you, reserved for you for this time before God said, let there be light. He had you in mind for a specific mission in life. 
The prophet Jeremiah records this fact. When God was talking to Jeremiah, God told Jeremiah, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart, and I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Now think about that. The planning meeting in heaven, God was planning it out, and he looked forward, and he saw every single one of you and said, this is how I want them used in my kingdom. This is all part of his plan. It's the calling of God to service as a birthright and a responsibility of everyone who calls Jesus Lord and Savior. Saying that, there are specific positions or offices within that body of Christ that serve as leadership or they serve as trainers to the body. And they're found in Ephesians 4, chapters, or excuse me, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. So let's read about those. It was he, he being Jesus, it was Jesus who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of God. So this morning we're going to look at those servant ministry positions that we see in the church and the qualifications that have to go into them. Now, I want to emphasize that these are servant leadership positions. These are not high and lofty positions. These are not me jumping up on this chair and shouting down on you. That's not what these positions are about. And I know many pastors try to create this and say and thunder down on people, but they don't live it themselves. This is supposed to be servant leadership, lead by example. We're supposed to be spiritual leaders and mentors in the faith. These people up on the screen, these various leadership positions, are meant to be mentors and servants whose role it is to help you mature in the faith and guide you into God's will for your life. And then help you fulfill that role so that you will receive a wonderful reward when you stand before God. They are unique positions within the body, and they come with a few qualifications. The first qualification to have one of these positions in, the, in, in ministry is to be a student of the Word of God. Paul wrote three pastoral epistles. Pastoral epistles were written to pastors of churches, specifically to instruct them how they should be leading the church. The first Two of those were to Timothy, who was the pastor over the church at Ephesus, and the second was to Titus, who was an elder and pastor presiding over the church at Crete. And he wrote to Timothy the importance of being a student and steward of God's word. And this is the verse that God called me into the ministry with. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. That's the first qualification for spiritual leadership in any capacity. You need to be a student of God's word, and you need to let God's word study you. It goes both ways. And that brings us to the second spiritual qualifications, and they are character and personality qualifications found in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1. And they're, they're, first, they're very similar 
in the, um, their descriptions. We're just going to look at First uh, Timothy chapter three today. And before I read it, I just want to point out that the Greek word for overseer is also translated elder in other parts of the Bible and other Bible translations. And this position today would be most closely attributed to the, the title of pastor that we kind of generically use in the church today. If you weren't here about two weeks ago, we saw that the New Testament word for pastor was poinamain, and it's only used once in, in regards to a spiritual position, position and that's in Ephesians 4.11. Otherwise, it's always referring to a shepherd of sheep. So let's look at Paul's personality, character, and spiritual qualifications for leaders in the church. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. Here is a trustworthy saying. If anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, he desires a noble task. Now the overseer must be above reproach, the husband of but one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle. Not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him with proper respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. Deacons, likewise, are to be men worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine, and not pursuing dishonest gain. They must hold to the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. They must first be tested, then if there is nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. In the same way, their wives are to be women worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. A deacon must be the husband of but one wife and must manage his children and household well. Those who served well gain an excellent standing and a great assurance of their faith in Jesus Christ. So let's break this down a little. Because we can look like at a list like this and say, I don't know a single person except Jesus that meets all those qualifications. So, so let's break this down a little bit. The first thing I want to point out is that word desire. It said in verse 1, if anyone sets his heart on being an overseer. you have to, This is speaking to being called to this position. God has to call you into this kind of a ministry. This is not something that you want to do just based off of your own own will or, or desire for a position. Because if you do, I guarantee you it's going to be a disaster. A disaster both for you and for the people that you're trying to minister to. And when I read articles, I read a lot of articles about church, about pastors and everything. And when I read articles about pastors where they do kind of a, an interview after a, a relatively famous pastor has fallen out of the ministry because of some issue, many of them will admit, they said, you know what, I think I missed God in that I was never really called into that. But I desired a position within the church and I ran after it, but I never ever received a calling for it. And that is, so that is something very specific. You need to hear from God before you, before you try to pursue one of these positions. Jesus had a little brother. His name was James. 
And James wrote a book in the Bible, and he tells us in James chapter 3, verse 1, he said, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with a greater strictness. And this verse serves as a very sobering reminder to all those who would consider a position of spiritual leadership. And there's two reasons that James gives us this warning. The first thing I can tell you is that there is a difference between the level of spiritual attack you receive as a person in the pew versus me when I was an interim pastor versus when I was a board member versus when I was an associate pastor and now being a senior pastor. Let me illustrate this a little bit. When I'm at work, if we're like really slow in the ER and we don't have any patients, they, I'm usually the first person they put on call. So when I'm on call, I can be in the general area or I could be across the street in the on-call house. And, but sometimes, you know, it's a nice day out. The last thing you want to do is sit in the house. So sometimes I'll jump in my car. One of my favorite places to go is down by the dam in Black River. I just like dams, watching water going over dams and everything. And, and one day, um, the guy who actually takes care of the dam, opens and shuts the gates and all that, came by. And I was like, so how do you know how much to open a gate or which gates to open or all that? And he explained it to me. He said, what we receive is from the dam in Hatfield, how much water pressure is there. And we know exactly how much is going to come at us. So we open the gates before it gets here so it doesn't damage the dam. And we maintain enough pressure to turn the turbines and make electricity. He said there's a lot of formulas, but it's mostly computer, computerized right now. But he has to actually come down and physically open doors all the time and close them. And the water... so. Bringing this back to what we're talking about this morning in regardness to the heaviness of spiritual attack, when I was a person in a pew, there are four, four gates on this, on this dam in Black River. When I was a person in a pew, it was kind of like one gate being open with a little bit of flow coming from it. You felt it, but it wasn't overwhelming. When I was an interim pastor, it was two gates with some moderate flow coming through it. I had a lot of pastoral responsibilities. In other words, they left me to do, quote unquote, the hard stuff with the people, and they took care of the, the overall leadership and direction of the church. When I was an associate pastor and a board member, it was like three gates with heavy flow. You felt the spiritual pressure all the time. But it's something that always directed me, and the more pressure I always felt, the more it drives me to prayer. So it's, I'm not complaining, I'm just describing. And the thing with all three of those positions, I could always walk into somebody else's office and gain perspective, I can get advice, or, or just get a decision or direction. Then I became a lead pastor. And sometimes it can feel like it rained really hard up north, and all of a sudden, all four gates of the dam slam open, and the water's coming up over the dam, which happens sometimes in Black River. It's pretty impressive to see. And all that water just starts roaring downstream, and it's just huge um, amount of like rapids and, and, and uh, water movement through there. That's kind of what it feels like sometimes as, as the lead pastor. Now, I have my district presbyter, and especially when Dale was still my presbyter, he helped me tremendously my first year here. But in the end, the buck stops at my desk for the church. And 
And that's kind of the spiritual warfare aspect when it comes to spiritual positions of leadership in the church. The second thing about James's warning is that is the aspect of being stricter judgment by God with people he calls into servant leadership. Now you may ask, why is there stricter judgment? Why is God judging a pastor more harshly than he would anybody else who's sitting in the pew? It doesn't seem fair. It seems like it should be the opposite, right? So I'm going to go over quickly a kind of a complicated truth. So if you have questions about this, just let me know at the end of the message when we have our Q&A or shoot me a phone call or an email. But the reason for this is because God always judges based on revelation. Let me say that again. God judges us or judges everyone based on revelation. Let me give you a quick example from the, the extreme example of this. Does the devil or any of the demons have any chance of ever being saved? Why? Because they had a complete revelation of God. They saw God in all of his glory, face to face, sitting on his throne. Complete revelation of God. Why does humanity get a second chance? We had an incomplete revelation of God. If you think about it, Adam and Eve only knew God as creator. Yes, they saw him. Yes, they talked with him. Yes, they, they knew him. But in their innocence, they didn't really have a complete revelation. So that's why the cross was written into the plan of God. Now we tie that into our subject today. Why are spiritual leaders subject to a greater or more strict judgment? Because ideally, we should have a greater revelation of God. Through our study, through our devotional time, through our, our focus on God. You know, somebody asked me once, how long does it take you to prepare for Sunday morning? I said, six days. I said, it doesn't mean I'm sitting at my desk pouring over the scriptures for six days, but this morning I was already thinking about what I'm preaching next Sunday. And, and where I'm going to go with it. So, and throughout the week, I'll be sitting there starting an IV on somebody at work, and uh, something will pop in the back of my head, and I'll go, okay, file that for the sermon. You know, maybe I'll, maybe I'll, I'll talk about that. So it's, it's, it's a constant thing with, with somebody who's in spiritual leadership, especially pastoral leadership, that you're always spending time with God in that way. And we have that greater revelation of God because of that kind of lifestyle. And saying that, as I said in the beginning, we are all God's children. We're all called to a specific function within his kingdom. You may say, well, I'm not called into that. I don't have all that schooling. I didn't get a chance to go to, to Bible college or, or Bible school. But really, let's just be honest with each other. How many people have one of these? Smartphone. <laughs> How many people have a computer in their house? Kindle. So it's just some type of electronic device you connect to the internet with. If you can connect to the internet with anything, you have access to Harvard's complete theological library. The greatest theological library on earth, you have free access to that. If you really, really, really wanted to know the word of God, if you really, really, really wanted to spend that kind of devotional time with him, you can do it for free. So you are without really excuse. If you want to, if you want me to point you to some of those places, I'll point you to some of those places. But, the, but if God judges the American church for anything, 
It's going to be because of our lack of discipline or spiritual laziness, isn't it? I mean, we're starving to death in the midst of an all-you-can-eat buffet because we're too lazy to reach up and grab food. We'd rather watch stupid cat videos on YouTube than, <laughs> than go and study God's Word. And I, I'm just as guilty of that sometimes. But that helps explain this, the next part of this list in 1 Timothy 3, which is the spiritual and personality qualifications. In verse 2, it says that the overseer must be above reproach. That's the standard for spiritual leadership. And remember, beginning verses in, in any one of Pauline's letter or any one of Paul's letters, they're called the Pauline epistles, uh, and any one of Paul's letters set the stage for the rest of the chapter, right? So the second verse here says that the overseer must be above reproach, and the rest of the chapter is a summary of what that looks like in practical terms. So to be above reproach means that you are the husband of but one wife, or in our way of looking at it today, that women can also be in the ministry, it means that they are a one-spouse person. And what it was speaking about in those days is that polygamy and polyamory were completely legal and socially acceptable. You could have more than one spouse. You could have two. You could have three, four, or five. You could have all kinds of living relationships back in the Roman Empire. So they were saying that, no, you need to be the husband or spouse of one other spouse, period. It wasn't necessarily talking about being divorced from a spouse. Jesus himself gave some example, and Paul gave some examples of some biblical reasons for getting into divorce, infidelity being the biggest one. It's a reason, it's not a requirement, a reason. Um, a spouse leaving, if you became a Christian and your spouse didn't want to have anything to do with it and he left you, that's another biblical reason for divorce. So there, it isn't talking about just divorce. Um, it's talking about living together at the same time. So I don't think divorce automatically disqualifies a person from spiritual leadership. However, if, you were, if I was on the presbytery board and you told me you've been divorced six times, I might have to question your judgment, <laughs> or at least your ability to, to find uh, the love of your life, right? So as we continue looking at the qualifications, we see some additional character attributes that should be present. And all these can be tied back into fruits of the Holy Spirit. You are to be temperate. That word temperate means you're not supposed to be overly emotional or subject to huge mood swings. If, you've, if you're on personality number seven this morning, you're probably not called to the ministry. If you've been happy, sad, angry, and you've gone bouncing all over the place this morning... You might want to consider if God's calling you into spiritual leadership. You are to be self-controlled, which means that you are not easily led into potentially sinful activity. And this has to do with everything in your life. You are to be respectable, and that the elder, pastor, or overseer is to be respected by others. You are to be hospitable. You are to make new people be welcome. And that means that a person who walks in, if they're wearing chains, leather, and a mohawk, needs to be just as welcome as, as anybody who's been going to this church for 30 or 40 years. We are to be hospitable. Show them the love of Jesus. Able to teach. This is an important part. He has to be, this person has to be able to mentor people and explain the Bible. That's why I said to study to show yourself approved. Not given to drunkenness. I think that's pretty self-explanatory. You're coming into church all the time with a hangover. That's probably a bad thing. Shouldn't be drinking. Not violent, but gentle. Uh, most importantly, to, in these days, 
in speech, action, and what you post online. It surprises me how people who call themselves Christians portray themselves online. Just evil and wicked sometimes and, and just violent with people. You're not to be quarrelsome, meaning you're not to go looking to cause fights. Some uh, Bible translation said not pugnacious. I love that word pugnacious. Uh, it means that you're not supposed to go looking to cause fights. Not a lover of money. To be honest, you will not get rich in um, doing ministry. And in fact, I think we're rapidly approaching a time where biblical churches will not be able to support full-time pastors. And they're all going to be bivocational like they were in Paul's day. Must manage his own family well. As much as it's up to him and her, their first ministry is to their families. Not a recent convert. There's not a specific timeline given, but it does often take years for the Holy Spirit to take a person from salvation to develop character that's able to withstand pressures of ministry. Just like you don't throw an 18-year-old fresh college or fresh high school graduate directly into combat without basic training, you shouldn't take a new convert and throw them directly into ministry. A good reputation with outsiders. This follows not being a recent convert. Those are the general prerequisites of an overseer, elder, pastor, and deacons have similar qualifications. And oftentimes that's seen as the first step to being an overseer or a pastor. In our fellowship, the Assemblies of God, we, off, we see deacons as being more servant-minded or being part of the official church board. And finally, I want to conclude with the mission of overseers, pastors, and elders. And you see that, um, what their job is and what they're supposed to be doing in Ephesians 4.12, where it says to prepare God's people for works of service. In other words, we are the trainers. We are the coaches. We are the ones that help you develop your giftings to do works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure and fullness of Christ. There's a reason that we want spiritual maturity in the pews. It's for the health of the church for sure, but it's for your benefit. My job is to be here for your benefit. God wants you to be as successful as you possibly can be in life so that you receive the maximum award in eternity when you stand before him. And one of the main lessons my former pastor Ron Ock taught us is this. He said, no one who has ever served Jesus Christ with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength and lived according to the Spirit of God will regret it once they see Jesus. If we as a church body have and are developing servant leadership in all areas of our church body, it pro the Bible promises we'll have the following results. And those are seen in Ephesians 4.14 where it says, we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by waves, and blown here and there by every wind of teaching, and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Instead, be speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ, and from him the whole body, joined together and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. 
We're all part of the body of Christ. And that's the application for all of us today. So I would ask you a question. Does this last scripture, when it's talking about being tossed back and forth by waves, describe you? Do you feel like you might be being tossed about in the sea of life? Well, there's two questions you're going to have to answer for yourself. What has God called you to do? If you're not fulfilling your calling, you're missing out on God's maximum blessing, His maximum presence, His maximum protection, and maximum provision for your life. And number two, are you submitted to the leadership God has placed in your life? When we talk about biblical submission to authority, it's not about the pastor getting his or her way. It's not about us jumping up on that chair and shouting down on you and you obeying. It's about receiving the maximum blessing of God on your life. And I'll end with this scripture today. Hebrews 13, 17, that says, Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. That's one of the most frightening things, for, frightening and sobering things for me is that I have to give an account for everyone here. They keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy and not a burden, for that would be of no good benefit for you. But it's not about me. I don't read that verse to put condemnation or the fear of God in people. I want you to be completely blessed and fulfilled in your life with Jesus Christ. That is my desire for every single person here. And I'm very blessed to say that probably 99.5% of my ministry here in Whitehall has been a joy. And I'm blessed beyond anything that God should have ever done for a wretch like me. But just remember, he has that same kind of calling in your life for a mission for you to fulfill, that he can bless that. 